Good evening and welcome again to our Bible study series, Show Us Your Glory. We have been some weeks now in this series, and we've come to the seventh and final part in this series. And as always, I'd like to uh, inform any new listeners that we might have that there are several different ways to join in this Bible study. Uh, you can do it by telephone. Uh, you can do it live on the Internet. We're broadcasting on the Internet through MixLR. And you can also listen to the recordings, uh, usually a day or two after uh, we've actually done it live. The recordings are uploaded to our website, which is new-life-ministries.org. And all of the notes, all of the previous recordings are available there. Probably the best uh, way of all, if you have the means to do it, is to subscribe to our New Life Ministries podcast on your uh, iPhone or other device, and you will get both the recordings and the notes as they are uploaded and become available. So a number of different ways that you can be joining in these studies, and as I mentioned, we've come to part seven in this rather lengthy series, and... I'm not sure if we'll be able to finish tonight. may take one more session to do so. And I'll go ahead and tell you I'm very excited about the next series we're going to jump right into on the book of Acts. I have been just immersed in the book of Acts for some weeks now, and I'm getting so blessed studying God's Word. So get ready for that one. That one will be coming up pretty soon, but... Here we go tonight. Show us your glory. Part 7. We want to talk in this final part about more practical things. And essentially what we want to center our attention on is how do we now live for God's glory? We've talked a lot about what God's glory is, how it appears, how we can partake of that glory. Glory is something God wants to give us. His glory is eternal. The glory of God, we saw, is something heavy. It's something weighty. It's the fullness of who God is. And very often, in both the Old Testament and in the New, when God's glory was manifested, people were overwhelmed. They fell to the ground. They couldn't speak. They couldn't do anything. And this is the radiance, the manifestation outwardly of all that God is, all who he is. His love, his grace, his power, his wisdom, his judgment, his faithfulness, all that is a part of what we have been studying here, the glory of God. And we have hope of glory. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's an eternal glory that God is promising us as part of our inheritance. And these are things that we should study carefully and really pray over earnestly that God would continue to show us His glory, manifest that radiance 
of who he is. And of course, he has chosen now to do that through the face of his son, Jesus Christ, and through the gospel of the glory of Christ. And we saw that the centerpiece of the whole New Testament possibly could be Romans 3.23, where Paul is developing the whole doctrine of justification and redemption and salvation. And there he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's really, in a nutshell, the whole problem that salvation is addressing. It's that man fell, man became a sinner in the Garden of Eden. Adam sinned, he passed that sin on to all of mankind. And ever since then, we've been in a fallen state. And one important aspect of that fallenness, if that's a word, is we've fallen from the glory of God. We, we come short of the glory of God. So obviously, God's end game, his end purpose, after all is said and done, is not just to forgive us our sins and give us an escape from hell. It's to restore us to the glory that we lost when we sinned. And that happened, of course, in the Garden of Eden. So through Christ, through his redemptive work, God is restoring us to eternal glory. And he does that in a number of ways. Of course, it's through believing in Christ, it's through water baptism, through receiving the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory. And God begins to sanctify us. He begins to change us from glory to glory, transforming us into the very image and likeness of his Son. You could say that the glory that man had originally was the fact that he was made in the very image and likeness of God. That image was marred. It, it became defective after sin entered. And ever since then, man has been fallen from the glory of God. He keeps missing the mark. That's what sin, by definition, is. It's to miss the target. The target is the glory of God. So we've studied how God wants to give us that glory. He wants to restore us to that glory. And it's only fitting that we end this now by looking at a number of scriptures that talk about us giving glory back to God. This is an important aspect of the whole equation, and unless we complete this part of it by giving the glory back to God, the whole process is not really complete. There's an interesting scripture in Romans 11 where Paul says, All things are from him, through him, and to him. If you think about that, it's really one big circle. It comes from him, through Jesus Christ, to us, and then we give it back to him. Now, if you're following in the notes, 
We've come to page 49, and again, this is part 7 of this series. And this part is rather short, so it won't take us but maybe two sessions. We'll see if we can finish it tonight. But we want to start off in a very interesting scripture found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 12 through 19. And sometimes, just for variety, I like to read from different translations. So, this particular passage I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, Then, as he, Jesus, entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, Jesus healed in a variety of ways. He didn't have any set method. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. He, he said in John, he always did what his father showed him to do. Sometimes he laid hands, sometimes he spit, sometimes he spoke a word. Here, there's no indication that he laid hands on them. It doesn't even specifically say that he prayed for them. He just told them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed, they were cleansed. Verse 15, and one of them when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? So, we know from that statement, although it doesn't say anything in the text earlier, all ten of these lepers, as they went, they were healed. All ten of them. Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. This is a fascinating scripture, and there are a number of things I want to quickly look at here. First of all, Jesus manifested the glory of God here. He didn't pray, he didn't lay hands, but he manifested the glory of God. Somehow, supernaturally, just by telling them, go show yourselves to the priests, and them obeying that simple command, power and glory went out from him to heal all ten of them. So, if you will, glory came upon them. The glory of God came upon them to heal them. Now, what are they going to do with the glory? This is what this last part is all about. 
God is giving us glory. He's manifesting it in many, many different ways. Now what are we going to do with it? Very interestingly, the other nine who were also healed, they did not return. Matter of fact, Jesus was a bit puzzled. Where are they? Why didn't they come? Why did only one return? So the other nine also received glory. They received healing. But they never returned to give glory to God. And thus, somehow, this whole process got short-circuited. Now, we don't know for sure what happened to the other nine, but based on verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 19, some question is raised about what really happened to them because this one who returned to give glory to God, Jesus says to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well, made you whole. We hope the other nine were also made whole, but we don't know that for certain. One thing we do know is this is quite common with humanity. We'll come to God with a need, a problem, a sickness, and we need prayer, we need help, we cry out, we get the pastor and the elders to anoint us and to lay hands on us, and lo and behold, God answers prayer and works a miracle. And we run out of the church doors, and we're never seen again. Now, I don't know if these numbers mean anything, but it seems here, based on 9 out of 10, that it's not a very good ratio. One comes back to really give glory to God. The other 9 go their way. And as I've been preparing our next study in the book of Acts, I've been really blessed studying chapter 3, where the first healing miracle takes place after the day of Pentecost, when Peter and John went up to the temple, and the crippled man was laying there at the gate, and he was miraculously healed, instantaneously healed. And rather than say, hey guys, thank you for healing me, now I can go about my business. I've got a lot of stuff to do at home. i got to take care of things, so see you later. That's not what happened. The Bible says this guy was clinging on to Peter and John, kept hanging on to them, followed them into the temple courts, stood right next to them while they were preaching. Peter and John got arrested that evening, the next day when they're released from jail, the guy is still there. He just wouldn't leave. He wanted to stay where the, the power was. He wanted to stay where the glory was. And the Bible says he went into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. He was giving glory to God. Forty years, the Bible says, he had been a cripple. Wouldn't you be glorifying God? Well, thankfully he did, but apparently 
A lot of folks don't. Based on this story in Luke, nine of the ten never returned. They never, like this one, with a loud voice, glorified God. Pay close attention to what Jesus says. You can sense kind of a sadness in the words. Verse 18 again. <clears throat> were, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now this is something that you see fairly often in the Gospels. He wasn't a Jewish man. He was a Samaritan. It was often the non-Jews that seemed to have a better handle on spiritual things than the Jewish people did. This is one example. We don't know if the other nine were Jews. It seems like they might have been. And the one who does return, lo and behold, is not even a Jew. He's a Samaritan. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God? So this is what we want to center on tonight. We need to give glory back to God. As he brings glory into our lives through Jesus Christ, we need to be very careful to give that glory back to him. Another way of putting it is, are we seeking to honor, glorify God, or are we seeking to honor and glorify ourselves or someone or something else? Basically, if we're giving glory to anyone or anything else other than the living God, it's what the Bible calls idolatry. And we need to be very, very careful about that. <clears throat> In our next scripture, John chapter 7, verse 18, I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. There is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is speaking here, and of course, he's referring to himself in that second part. He was always seeking the glory of his Father, the one who sent him. He sought no glory for himself. He always sought to bring the glory back to God, his Father. And he cautions us here. Anyone who speaks from himself, or you could even say for himself, is seeking his own glory. So here's the choice. You and I either go through life day by day taking every opportunity to seek God's glory, to seek to give Him glory, or we go through life thinking about ourselves, centered on ourselves, looking for the next opportunity to get some praise, some honor, and some glory 
from men. Two totally different mindsets. One brings death and one brings life. And at the end of this part seven, we want to talk about and summarize the various things that we can allow in our lives and even in our churches and ministries that can hinder the glory of God. This is certainly one of them. Seeking the glory for ourselves. Trying to draw the attention, trying to bring the honor to ourselves, rather than seeking the glory of the one who sent us. Okay? Romans chapter 4 talks about Abraham, the father of faith. Look at what it says here about him. Romans 4, verses 18 to 21. Against all hope, remember Abraham and Sarah could not have children. They were years past the time of childbirth. And yet God kept telling them, you're going to be a father of nations. So against all hope, Abraham, in hope, he kept believing. He believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. <clears throat> Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He didn't pretend that he was a young man. He knew the circumstances. He knew he was an old man. He knew Sarah was way past the age of bearing children. But even though he faced that fact, he also remained strong in faith. So, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And here's a part of the story we don't often emphasize, but we will hear. He did not waver through unbelief. He was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, what strikes me about this is it doesn't say Abraham waited until Isaac was conceived or born to start giving glory to God. While he was in the trial of faith, as good as dead, I like that statement, as good as dead, I mean the whole situation was hopeless, everything looked dead. <clears throat> It looked like there's no way this thing is ever going to come to pass. In that circumstance, he was giving glory to God. That's different from waiting until Isaac's first birthday to give glory to God. He was already giving glory to God without having seen the fulfillment of the promise yet. And his strong faith, no doubt, was one of the ways he was giving glory to God. We give glory to God by trusting in his word, by saying, God, this situation is dead, it's hopeless, everybody's telling me to quit and cash it in, but I'm not going to quit because you promised me something, and I'm going to hold on to your word, 
I'm going to remain strong in faith, and I'm going to keep praising you by faith, and I'm going to keep giving you glory until the promise comes to pass. That's what he was doing. He was giving glory to God, even in that 25-year trial that he and Sarah went through. Further on in Romans chapter 15, We'll look at some verses here, verses 6 to 9. Paul tells the Christians, With one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what, it, what, what we're created to do. This is what we're called to do. As God saves us, touches us, puts his glory upon our lives, it should be a natural response to now want to glorify Him. Verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. <clears throat> glorify God. This is what should be a natural and a regular part of our day-to-day -day life. Now, we have some rather scary examples in scriptures of what sometimes happens when you don't give glory to God and you keep it for yourself. And a stark example of that is found in the book of Acts. There's some pretty amazing things that happen in the book of Acts, both good things and bad things. You have the dead being raised, and you have people dropping dead in the church. Here's an example of what happened to Herod. He had just given uh, a big speech, and everybody was praising him and lavishing him with glory and honor and praise. And Acts 12.23 Reading from the New American Standard, it says, Immediately, immediately after his speech is done, and the people are still clapping and cheering and applauding, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Wow, this is scary. Sometimes God puts us in positions where, whether we like it or not, people are cheering us, they're applauding us, they're praising us, they're bestowing some honors upon us. Best we can, we should try to stop all of that, but sometimes you can't. Nevertheless, we should be very careful in our heart that we're not taking the glory to ourselves. 
rather than reflecting all of this praise and glory back to God, Herod kept it for himself. He did not give God the glory. He took it. He got it. And he died. He fell down dead. And, you know, the scriptures are very graphic sometimes. He was eaten by worms and died. doesn't say he died and then, you know, after a few days, the worms started eating him up. He was eaten by worms and died. What a gross way to die. So, here's an example of what not to do. We should always be conscious of giving the glory back to God, giving the praise back to God. Even if somebody compliments you for a little thing, you don't have to make a big deal out of it, but quietly in your own heart you can say, Thank you, Lord. I know that was you. You get the glory. You get the praise. I didn't do that. That was you. You be exalted. You be praised. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 14, not to get into a whole lot of eschatology, which is end times events, but I believe that the setting here is the church has already been raptured, and this is during the tribulation. And there's an angel flying in midair, preaching the eternal gospel. Some believe that the reason the angel is preaching the gospel is there's no longer any gospel preaching allowed in the world. The Antichrist has taken full control. Those that are not worshiping him and taking his mark are being put to death. And the rest who have taken his mark of course, are eternally doomed. So, here we have this angel, it says, preaching the eternal gospel. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd like to know what he's preaching, and we have a little insight into what his eternal gospel was. Let's read it. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Pretty simple message. No mention of repentance, believing in Christ, taking water baptism, or any of that. This is a very simple warning and a very simple exhortation. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him, for he's the creator of everything. He made the heavens, <clears throat> the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Good words for us to take to heart. Fear God and give him glory. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water.
Another thing I've been noticing in my study of the book of Acts, humans are so prone to worshiping other people, worshiping other objects, because we're created to worship. We're created to give glory to something. And if we're not consciously, proactively giving all that glory to God, we end up giving it somewhere else, either to ourselves, maybe to some human, or to some thing, a job, a car, uh, an education, a degree. could be any number of things, but if we're not fully devoted to giving God glory, inevitably we end up giving glory somewhere else. And even in the early church, when the apostles worked a miracle or a sign or the wonder, the people were ready to fall down and worship them, calling them gods. And the apostles had to say, no, 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 no. Don't look at us. Don't glorify us. We're not gods. This has all been done in the name of Jesus Christ. Give him the glory. And especially in the book of Revelation, we find a number of other scenes in heaven describing the activities there. And I can tell you one thing for sure. One of the main, if not primary activities in heaven is giving glory to God. So we might as well get some good practice down here on earth because that's what we're going to do for eternity. We're going to give glory to God. I love these passages that we're going to look at because they're all in the setting of heaven and it helps me remember this is where we're headed this is where we're going oh what a glorious place heaven is revelation 4 verses 9 to 11 whenever the living creatures give glory honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. Now, without going into a lot of detail here about who these living creatures are or who the four and twenty elders are, let's focus on the important thing. What are they doing? They're all giving glory to God. The living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. The 24 elders fall down before him. They worship him, saying, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. They gave glory to God. Revelation 5, 11-13. I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 
and 10,000 times 10,000. Some Bibles say innumerable company of angels. Can't even be numbered. Thousands times thousands, ten thousands times ten thousands. Angels, angels, angels. What are they doing? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So now we have angels joining the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice they sang. Oh, I can't wait to hear that choir. Man, oh man. 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing in perfect harmony. Whew. And they're loud. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then we have the living creatures, now we have the 24 elders. We have this great multitude of angels. They're now about to be joined with every creature. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Now you know why I like to sing that chorus so much. To him who sits on the throne. Hallelujah. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is what we're going to do in heaven. And this is heaven. When you and I learn the joy of giving glory to God, worshiping him, praising Him, thanking Him, that is heaven. And some people say, oh, well, why is God on such a glory trip that He needs all of us to be giving Him glory? Otherwise, He doesn't feel good enough about Himself or whatever. No, 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 that's all nonsense. God doesn't need us for anything. He doesn't need us to do anything for Him. He's quite happy without us. But he created us for his glory, and he knows that we are fulfilled. We fulfill our purpose and destiny as we learn to give glory, honor, and praise to him who sits on the throne. This continues in the book of Revelation, moving to chapter 7. Verse 11, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if you're noticing this, but one day I was looking at all these scriptures and I realized there's a pattern. If you go back to the passage in chapter 4, it mentions you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. 
three things. When you come to chapter 5, worthy to receive praise, honor, glory, and power. Four things. Then you come to chapter 7, praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength. Seven things. The number of completeness. Now they're giving complete glory to God. Praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Oh boy, what a wonderful place heaven is going to be. Chapter 19 of Revelation. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. <clears throat> Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Three things there. Be glad, rejoice, and give him glory. Why? For the wedding, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. What a glorious place heaven is going to be. And what, what a thought that each one of us will be able to contribute with our voice to that heavenly, eternal choir that surrounds the throne forever and ever, giving praise, honor, and glory to God. Now, you may recall when we first started breaking down glory in the Old and New Testaments, the word for glory in the New Testament is doxa, D-O-X-A. It's pretty much the counterpart to the Old Testament Hebrew word, which is kabod. It's translated the same in both the Old and New Testaments. It's usually translated glory, but sometimes it may be honor or to give honor. But it's basically the New Testament word for glory, doxa. We get a word from that, the word doxology. And a doxology is a short little expression of praise and glory to God. And there are numerous examples of doxologies throughout the Bible. They're found in the Old Testament as well as the New. But I wanted to concentrate on some of the doxologies that are found in the New Testament. And these are good to read regularly. They're even nice to memorize and use them as part of your worship, part of your prayer, part of your giving glory back to God. They're like short little prayers, and you'll notice they always end with Amen. So you're 
giving an expression, a short little expression of praise and thanks and glory to God, and then ending it with Amen. We have a whole page of them here, and I want to read through these because I get blessed every time I read these, and it sort of helps me to get back in tune so that I can give glory to God. We'll start with one that Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 13, reading from the New King James Version, and do not lead us into temptation, of course this is part of the Our Father prayer, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Notice, it ends by giving glory forever to God. That's characteristic of a doxology. Romans 11.36 I referred to earlier. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Romans 16, verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, I like the King James, that's how I memorize it, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews 13, another doxology. Very often the epistles would end with one of these doxologies. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. There it is again. Glory forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 4.11 If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves... He should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Second Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence. That phrase 
in the New King James is the presence of his glory. Both of them are correct, but we're about to be presented before his glorious presence and the presence of his glory without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Sounds rather repetitive, but I wanted to read all of them on purpose just to show you how commonplace these expressions of giving glory back to God are just in the New Testament alone. And again, these are known by theologians and church experts as doxologies. Many of these have been put to music. They're sung as hymns and choruses in churches. It's a great way to give glory to God. And as I mentioned, I would recommend reading over these regularly, if you can, memorize some of them and incorporate them into your daily worship, prayers, and devotion. God wants us to give Him glory. It's for our good. We don't want to be like the nine lepers that walked away and never came back, never gave any thanks. I mean, think about that. They were miraculously healed. Why didn't they come back, Jesus asked. What's wrong with their hearts? Are they so selfish so self-centered, so hard-hearted, that all they wanted was this healing, and then they run away with it? The one got it right. He came back giving glory to God. And we're going to talk more about this next time. It's, it's obvious we're not going to be able to finish this in one session. Giving glory to God covers all the bases. Giving thanks to God honoring Him, worshiping Him. It, it's just, it's as simple as saying, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me today. I couldn't have done that on my own. Therefore, I give you glory by thanking you, praising Him, honoring Him, exalting Him. These are all ways in which we glorify God. And that's what we're going to look at next time, and this is where we're going to have to stop. Next time, we're going to try to make a, a list of some of the practical ways in which we can glorify God. And we'll start off 
this discussion next time with a very interesting verse, which I referred to last time also. It's found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Listen to it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That leaves nothing out. Whatever we do, it doesn't have to be something real churchy, something real spiritual. Oh, I got to wait till I get to church and the music is just right. Then I can give glory to God. That's not what Paul is saying. You sit down to eat your dinner, give glory to God. You drink a cup of coffee in the morning, give glory to God. You decide you're going to fast a few days, give glory to God. You're driving to the grocery store, give glory to God. You're coming home from work, give glory to God. And certainly, on your job, whatever your secular vocation or calling is, use your gift, use your talent, use your vocation to glorify God. It doesn't matter what it is you do. You may be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, or a garbage collector. In God's eyes, they're all the same. Matter of fact, the, the garbage collector who's worshiping and praising God every time he lifts up a trash can, he says, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I love you, Jesus. I'm praising and glorifying you. I think he gets more attention in the eyes of God than the world-famous doctor who's all wrapped up in himself and never takes a moment to say, God, thank you for giving me this knowledge. Thank you for giving me this ability to perform surgeries or to prescribe medication that help people or to be able to diagnose conditions and diseases correctly. Thank you, Lord. You gave me that wisdom. Therefore, I give you the glory. This is sort of a carte blanche statement. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's something <clears throat> every one of us can study. We can look for new ways to glorify God. You can glorify God when you're brushing your teeth. Glorify God when you're taking a shower. Glorify God when you're writing checks to pay your bills. Everything. You're, you're thanking God. Lord, I thank you that I have money in my bank account to cover these bills. And even if you don't, you're down on your knees praying and saying, Lord, I thank you because the money's on the way. You're a faithful God. You've never left your children begging bread. I know you're going to come through for me. And like Abraham, I'm going to give you glory now, even as I'm waiting on your promise. Let's be a people that glorifies God. We live for his glory. We take every opportunity to give him the glory, deflecting any glory that might come our way upwards toward heaven, saying, Lord, it's yours, it's yours. You get all the glory, you get all the praise, you and you alone are worthy of this glory. 
We'll close in prayer for tonight, and we'll come back to this one last time, and I promise you we'll be finishing this next week and then getting ready to move on into the book of Acts. Let's close in prayer together. Father, I thank you that you are the God of glory. You've spoken so many things to us through this Bible study of the glory you want to show us, the glory you want to give us, the glory you're calling us to inherit for all eternity, eternal glory in your presence. And now, Lord, it's only fitting that we learn how to give glory back to you. Teach us. Help us. Show us new ways in which we can glorify you. As Paul told the Corinthians, whether we're eating, drinking, riding on the bus, or sleeping, whatever we do, we can do it all for the glory of God. Help us to be a people that just lives for the glory of God. We are for your glory. And Lord, when we get into heaven and join those living creatures and elders and myriads of angels and all the other saints, what a time that will be where we can join in that everlasting chorus, giving you glory, honor, power, and praise forever and ever. To you, O God, and to you alone, be all the glory. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, whom you glorified, raised from the dead, and exalted to your right hand, King of kings, Lord of lords, and Lord of all. We thank you, and we praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.